You're listening to a Los Angeles Sports Nation production, enhancing your Los Angeles sports fan experience. Time no see episode twelve mob squad pod. We're back. We're still a thing. We haven't left. We're still here. Um, it's been a hot minute, uh, but that's because not because we don't love you guys or we uh, we're not friends anymore. Um, we've all been super busy lately. Um, Manny has been trying to be an adult and get a degree, and he's going to school. Um, Aaron. Uh, has been basically doing <laughs> death-defying feats. Of he uh, went skydiving um, in July and uh, stuff like that. So we've all had just like things going on and work and stuff. So, uh, but we're back. We're here. Uh, so first, while I'm on the subject, before I forget, because I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about this, Aaron. How was the skydiving thing? Because you made it back. You're alive. So I'm assuming it went well. Uh, yeah. I'm... <laughs> Part one. Yeah, I'm alive. It was, uh, all right. So like when you're in the airplane, there's basically the no turning back point where you're like, Oh crap. All right. I guess this is happening. And then, um, and then they open the airplane and you kind of like hang out the side of the aircraft and you're looking at the horizon and the ground looks really far away. And at that moment you're like, right. You're like pumping yourself up and you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And they push you out and you're like, yeah. And then as you're free falling still, you're like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> but yeah. then there's that moment where you kind of hit that, you know, uh, that constant speed, what you, terminal velocity, right? And you're just kind of, it feels like you're almost just floating down. Um, once you kind of hit that point, then it's just kind of, it's kind of cool. You just check out the scenery, but uh, it was wild, man. It was, it was, it was a trip for sure. Yeah, how was the landing? Pretty soft? Uh, yeah, I just kicked my feet up, landed on my butt. To be honest, I actually got a little motion sickness once the parachute kicked up. Like, I was feeling <laughs> pretty good. And then, yeah, floating down the parachute, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I might get sick. But I, I did not. I survived. All right. Well, yeah, I'm glad you made it back. Um, Manny, you are just about done with this semester, right? Yeah. Well, no, I actually finished it. Um, I want to say on Sunday, I had one more, uh, one more exam there. And, uh, I would have to say this, this was the most stressful, um, annoying, most, I don't know which other words to probably say that are nice about this whole semester, you know, cause this whole COVID thing, but, um, Hey, listen, I'm very thankful for a lot of, um, my friends that, also we're in the class because we all basically have to help each other because most of our courses have to be from going to place to place but as you guys know and as the listeners know I, I live here in miami and miami is basically the epicenter of this whole thing still so it's been kind of crazy just trying to get these assignments done but um no nah, I'm, I'm there i'm done i got one more semester left um if there's anything great about COVID, is that it made me think about grad school so that that would also be happening in january so but nice yeah. Yeah, yeah. Work. All right. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, uh, one thing. Oh, I should probably say, too, what the hell we're even talking about this week. Uh, if you missed it in the title of the episode, we're actually talking about the NFC West, which uh, you would think we would have done maybe first because we are a Rams podcast, believe it or not. So you would have thought we maybe would have done that first. But <clears throat> we're doing that one this week. Um, we're going to try and go th- through this one. 
uh, relatively quickly because we've uh, all got things going on uh, tonight and tomorrow. So we kind of have to make this a little bit of a quick episode. So if it seems Aaron. like we're rushing, uh, we've all got things going on that we kind of have to get ready for. Aaron is going to be backpacking in the middle of nowhere in Alaska by oh, like, this time Aaron. tomorrow. So yes, uh, yeah. I still need to back uh, my so- pack my backpack tonight so I can, uh, you know, have equipment available mm. to use. <laughs> so we uh, will try to get this. We'll try to get through this as uh, expeditiously as possible while not screwing you guys over on giving you some quality content. So to lead into the NFC West, um, one of the things I'm going to talk about first is just some little nuggets because I'm a nugget guy and I like bringing up these things. Uh, In 2002, they did a realignment of the NFC West. So the NFC West we know now actually came to be in 2002. So the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints moved into the NFC South. Uh, The Cardinals moved in from the NFC East, and the Seahawks returned from the AFC West, which is crazy to me because I don't even remember the Seahawks being a member of the AFC West. I don't remember that at all. Um but that was a thing um, not that long ago, actually, back in 2002. Um, and so the Rams remained in the West, uh, staying in there with the 49ers, which has basically been the longest consistency in the division because they've essentially been rivals since 1950. So that's why that rivalry kind of runs so deep. Um, the Rams and the 49ers have been rivals since 1950. So the NFC West that we know now has been in place since 2002. Um the NFC West became the second division since 2002, uh, or since the 2002 realignment, I should say. Uh, the NFC South was the first to do this, but they had each of their teams make a conference championship as well as a Super Bowl appearance. So the Rams did it, obviously, in 2018. The Cardinals did it in 2008 and 2015. San Francisco did it in 11, 12, and 13. And Seattle did it in 05, 13, and 14. Also of note, since 2002, each team has won at least three division titles. Only one, or sorry, only two other divisions in the league uh, can say that. So just some little NFC West nuggets I thought were pretty cool. Uh, The last thing that I'll kind of hit on here before we jump into the teams. In 2010, the NFC West became the first division in NFL history to have a champion with a losing record after the 2010 Seahawks won the division title with a record of 7-9. and nine. Uh, They would later be joined in 2014 by the Carolina Panthers, who won the NFC South with a record of 7-8-1. and one. So just another little cool nugget there that I thought, thought I'd throw in there. I saw when I was doing my research for the episode that I thought was worth throwing in there. Um... This division is also one of only two in which all of its teams have appeared in a Super Bowl at least once since the 2002 realignment. Uh, the only other division that can say that is the NFC South. So obviously Arizona made it in 08, LA made it in 18, San Francisco in 12 and 19, and Seattle in 05, 13, and 14. So um, the main reasons I wanted to put those nuggets in there is because I feel like the NFC West is one of those forgotten divisions. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like anytime people talk about football teams and divisions in general, I feel like the NFC West is usually the last on people's list when they talk about teams and who's the toughest and stuff like that. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's like an East Coast bias thing 
or if people just associate the West with bad teams. I don't know what it is, but I think that's not the case. Um, what's your guys' opinion on that as far as like other fans' opinions of the NFC West? Uh, Manny, go ahead, and I'll let you answer first. Well, Nick, I think you probably already hinted it, the East Coast bias, because when I was growing up, the only team that I know people wanted to watch out here that was in the West was the San Francisco 49ers. And that's because they had just won, what, their fifth Super Bowl in, like, the 90s. And then after that, what, you know, like, there wasn't really any West Coast teams, at least, you know, because I'm 32 years old. So I've, you know, I've been here and there. You know, besides the Niners and the Rams in the early 2000s, I don't really remember, you know, people really wanting to watch an NFL team out West. Um, I do think it's an East Coasting bias as well because, no offense, like when we're watching games in the East, the West most, you know, more than likely is waiting another three hours. And then finally when the West comes, it's already, you know, past four o'clock or whatnot. And most of the East Coast teams have already played at one unless you have certain teams that play, you know, on prime time. But um, I think it's exactly that, that it's everybody here in the East Coast. They're all come on, like, let's face it. Let's, you know, there's probably around eight or nine franchises here out East where people, you know, they'll watch at one o'clock. And then after one or something, they'll they'll only care if any players that they have on fantasy is out West. But yeah, so that's my take on that. Aaron, what's your stance on that? Do you have you experienced anything just in your fandom and years of watching football where you think there's any kind of bias or anything towards teams in the West? I have to, I guess, maybe disagree with you guys a little bit. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, I do agree in the fact that I feel like the Patriots, you look at the Packers, they always seem like the, the teams to talk about. Um, but the 49ers... They're both so not out West. Yeah, they're both not out West. That's why I was saying, you know, I do agree with you to a certain extent. But I mean, but, I mean even, 49- even when you look at the... At the you know, and I don't mean to interrupt, but even if you look at the dynasties that have gone around since the 80s, it's, it was the Niners, then it was the Cowboys, then it was um, now the Patriots. So, you know, the, the, and then even a little bit here and there were like the Steelers. Most of those teams besides the Niners are all on the East Coast or at least in the middle part of the country. They're not out West. That's true. But you look at like the teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, I guess they're Midwest, but mm-hmm. um, they're not fully East. they Oh, it's got a lot of hype. 49ers, I think, have recently got a lot of hype. But, I mean, the Seahawks are always talked about as being a team, uh, you know, the threat and win a Super Bowl, at least as in the last decade or so. Uh, I hear a lot about the Seahawks. The L.A. Rams have really stepped their game up. Last year was a little bit of a downer, but the Rams have been a big discussion. Um, so, in my opinion, I still think the AFC West gets some love. I, I would say it's, if not the toughest division in the league. It's definitely one of them. Top two, top three. Um, So, yeah, they're not like the Patriots dynasty. They're not the Green Bay Packers. I get talked about all the time. I agree with that. But I do think overall, as as a division, they got at least three really good teams that I think get a lot of credit throughout the season. And I feel like I hear a lot about it throughout each year. Uh, But... Then again, I live on the West Coast, so there's a lot of discussion about West Coast teams. So that yeah, might be part. Yeah. And, and you'll never have to apologize or anything for disagreeing because I love when people disagree because it just gives me more ammo to come back and debate and things like that. So I love that you disagreed. That's totally cool. I like that. So Thanks. we'll get into we'll get into the division. Um, I'm going to set up a little bit of 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the 49ers. Uh, Manny's going to talk about the Seahawks. Aaron's going to cover the Cardinals. And then to wrap it up, uh, I'll talk about the Rams. We'll do some predictions, and then we'll be good to go. So the class of the NFC West and pretty much the entire NFC was the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they won the division at 13-3. and the Seahawks finished second at 11 and five. The Rams finished third at nine and seven and the Cardinals finished at five, 10 and one because there's always those two teams somehow every year that somehow get a tie. So the, the Cardinals had a tie thrown in there um, of note. The 49ers went six and two at home. They went seven and one on the road, which is pretty incredible. They went five and one in the division, which is again, pretty credible incredible and they also went 10 and 2 in the conference which again those are all incredible numbers they only lost three games the entire year so obviously i guess those things go without saying but that's just incredible so as i said 13 and 3 49ers won the nfc west division they're coached by kyle shanahan um they finished second in the league in points per game at 29.9 their defense finished eighth uh, giving up 19.4 points per game. Uh, as we all know, they made it to the Super Bowl. They won the divisional round 27 to 10 against the Vikings. They won the conference championship 37 to 20 against the Packers. And they lost the Super Bowl 20 to 31 against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, of note that I wanted to uh, throw in here, because again, another nugget that I found uh, this past Super Bowl with the 49ers and the Chiefs was the first Super Bowl in seven years to not feature a quarterback named Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, and then also of note, the name Robert Sala, uh, if you watched any 49ers games or the Super Bowl, you know that's their defensive coordinator, and everyone loves that guy. Everyone seems to think he's like one of the next great head coaches because he's just that fiery guy on the sideline who's always jumping around and running around and and stuff and their defense was phenomenal so i'll give them credit uh but i don't know about the whole head coaching thing i guess we'll find out because i'm sure at some point in the next year or two someone's going to give them a shot and give them a job so 2019 was the third season under this um regime if you want to call it that this tandem of kyle shanahan and john lynch uh we're seeing more teams actually go towards that strategy where the head coach and the general manager are brought in as kind of one unit, like one team. That way you can kind of ensure that the head coach and the general manager have the same vision, the same strategy for the team. Because as we've seen in the past, uh, I know for me, the biggest example I can think of is the Cleveland Browns, where they just kind of recycle head coach after head coach after head coach, and the same thing with their general managers, and they're never on the same page. So the new strategy now is what the 49ers are doing. Uh, you know, we're going to bring in a head coach and a general manager at the same time, same vision, same goal. And it seemed to work. Um, this past season was kind of that season when everyone expected them to make a jump and they made a huge jump. They jumped probably more than what some people thought. Um, this was their best finish since 2011. They started the season eight. and zero. that's the first time they had done that since 1990. And the 49ers surpassed their win total from 16, 17, and 18 combined. So that's how terrible the 49ers had been the past couple seasons. They won more games last year than they did in 16, 17, and 18. So that's how bad they were. Just let that sink in for a second. 
Uh, they did have an unusually high percentage of close games throughout the regular season, which I thought was interesting. Um, eight of their games were decided by a touchdown or less, and seven of their games were won on a go-ahead score with under two minutes remaining or in overtime. Each of the 49ers' last five games was decided by a combined total of 20 points, including three games in which a field goal won the game as time expired. So a little bit, you could go either way on that, the way I read it. Um, They could have been maybe just the fortune of good luck, and that's why they won all the games, or maybe they're just that good, and that's how they won, and they just played the clock well. But you would get people who are anti Kyle Shanahan and they would tell you that clock management and game management isn't exactly his forte or his strong suit. So you can read into that however you want. Point being, they had a lot of close games. They could have gone either way. So going into 2020, this is kind of where they're at right now. As far as additions go, they really didn't make that many. Um, They actually had more departures than they did additions. Um, They did trade their fifth-round selection uh, and a 2021 third-round selection to the Washington Redskins or the Washington football team, uh, as they're now being known in exchange for Trent Williams, uh, who is going to fill in at left tackle for them because they lost Joe Staley, who retired. So as far as departures go, Joe Staley's gone. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. He's a New Orleans Saint now. DeForest Buckner got traded. He's one of their great uh, outstanding defensive tackles. He's gone. And their one of their starting guards, Mike Person, was released. They also traded Matt Breida, which for me was a little bit of a shock. Um, I thought he was going to be on the team for years to come, but they traded him to uh, Manny's Miami Dolphins in exchange for a fifth-round pick. So you could tell... They actually had more departures than they did additions, but they didn't really lose anybody super critical to the team, I would argue. Um, Emmanuel Sanders wasn't super outstanding for them, wasn't a huge contributor. I would say that uh, DeForest Buckner was probably the biggest loss, but their defense is so good, I think they could afford to lose that. So I don't think that's going to be a huge impact for them. Uh, And... The reason I also say that is because their 2020 draft pick that they made in the first round, uh, they were slotted in the 14 spot. They took defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw out of the University of South Carolina, um, who I don't know much about. As I've said many times, I don't watch a lot of college football, but he was selected as first team all SEC after his senior year. So obviously he's good. Um, So if they can plug him in to take DeForest Buckner's spot, I'm sure that's going to be, you know, a, a good stopgap there. Um, Manny, I know you watch a lot of college football, and I think you're kind of an SEC guy. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about Javon Kinlaw? Um, I'm quite honest with you, I do not. Um, but I know that he was very good at his position when it came to the drafting analysis and stuff like that. But as far as me watching him play and stuff, like I don't ever remember him – um, being such an impact in which, you know, the broadcasters are like, oh, Jamal Kinlaw, what a heck of a play or something. So I don't really yeah. remember much. Yeah, that's kind of the um, the impression that I got from him when I was doing my mm-hmm. research. Um, he kind of seemed to be one of those guys that, I don't want to say flew under the radar, but he was one of those guys that was just kind of reliable and dependable, mm-hmm. not like super outstanding. Like mm-hmm. nowadays we when guys like 
Judavian Clowney or Miles Garrett come out, there's like a lot of publicity about them and how they can change the game. Javon Kinlaw yeah. was yeah. not that guy. He basically was just someone that everyone said was reliable, dependable, good at his job. So we'll see how it goes. I feel like if the 49ers feel highly enough to take you, then there's prob- that's probably a good sign. Um, so my biggest question, um, this is really the only question I have about the 49ers. Uh, my biggest question for them And this is a question that I have for all Super Bowl participants, especially the team that loses in the Super Bowl. Can they build on their success that they had the previous year and get back to the Super Bowl or even back to the playoffs? Because as we've seen, especially as Rams fans, the team that loses in the Super Bowl usually struggles the next year. And I found some information here that I I thought was pretty incredible. There's really only one team in the past you know, 10 seasons that's really bucked the trend and actually accomplished anything. So I'm going to have a little bit of diarrhea of the mouth here. Uh, just bear with me on this. So these are all teams that were the Super Bowl runner-ups, and this is how they did the following season. So 2010, the Colts, they lost in the wild card round to the Rex Ryan Jets. In 2011, the Steelers lost to the 8-8 eight eight Broncos in the first round in overtime because of a Tim Tebow 80-yard touchdown pass, which I remember that I remember game. That. Oh, yep. Yeah, I remember, I remember that, that game. Yeah. That that was a hell of a game, and I, everyone was like, Tim Tebow's the truth. He's legit. And, <laughs> and then like, what happened the following week? Yeah, then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> what happened the following week? Yeah. Steve World. <laughs> so... That was with the 2011 Steelers. The 2012 Patriots actually made it back to the AFC Championship game, but they lost to Joe Flacco's Ravens. The 2013 49ers lost to Seattle in the NFC Championship game. The 2014 Broncos lost to Andrew Luck's Colts in the divisional round. The 2015 Seahawks lost to Cam Newton's Panthers in the divisional round. The 2016 Panthers finished the season 6-10 and and didn't even make the playoffs. The 2017 Falcons lost in the divisional round to the eventual champion Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Woohoo! Yep. And 2018, the Patriots uh, beat the Rams 13-3 to win the Super Bowl. They're the only team that's really bucked the trend. They lost in the Super Bowl the previous season. They made it back, and they won the Super Bowl. So, of course, the Patriots are the exception to the rule because they always are. Um and then, obviously, in 2019, the Rams were the loser in the Super Bowl. They followed up their season going 9-7 and seven and not making the playoffs. So all of that to say, backing up my point that the team that loses in the Super Bowl usually has a hard time either making it back or advancing deep into the playoffs. The Super Bowl hangover, I think, is a real thing. Um, and I think that's true whether we're talking baseball, football, basketball. I think it's a real thing. Either way. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this season coming off that and then tack on top of it how the season's going to go with all the COVID stuff. So, Aaron, I'll go to you first and ask you this question. If you had to put it kind of in a nutshell, do you think the 49ers are going to struggle this season? Like, do you think that the the Super Bowl hangover is going to be a real thing for them? Or do you think that it's not really going to affect them and they'll be fine? Yes, uh, well stated, Nick, everything you, you just threw out there. Uh, as I mentioned in an earlier podcast, I do think the 49ers are going to win this division still. I think they are still going to be a force to reckon with. I don't 
want to say that they've improved their team. In fact, I think they've maybe they they don't look as good on offense or defense. Uh, and bear with me. So so with the offense. They do have Debo Samuel, who's going to be, and I think it's his second year now, and I think he's going to be a really good player for them. They still have George Kittle. Um, they have running back, they still have Raheem uh, Mostert and Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon to kind of share the ball around. As we mentioned, they did lose Emmanuel Sander to the Saints. Uh, although you said he wasn't as productive this last season, I do think having him on the opposite side of the ball there did draw some attention his way to kind of open up uh, some room there for Debo Samuel or even George Kittle. So I think that loss of him is going to be, it's going to be felt. I'm not sure how uh, some of these other receivers are going to fill in in his position. So we'll kind of see how that turns out defensively. Defensively, I feel like uh, the loss of uh, DeForest Buckner there is going to, I think that's going to be a hit. Uh, I mean, like I had a, he was a performer for them, but again, they still got Nick Bosa, who's a stud. Um, they got Kinlaw. Uh, I, I do, and the Richard Sherman's only going to be another year older, so I can't say that this team is going to be any better. But I don't think they're going to be. I don't think they're going to be any worse. So I do see them going to the playoffs, winning this division, and I think they have a, le- a legitimate chance of making it to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, the the team I I would agree with you. You it's kind of hard to say that they got better necessarily going into this <clears> season. <throat> it doesn't look like they got super worse, especially on defense. Their defense is absolutely stacked. Uh Manny, where are you on this? Do you think the Super Bowl hangover is going to hit them or not a problem? I well, I still think that the Niners will compete for the division, but I still have the Seahawks winning just because of Russell Wilson. Um, when I look at what the 49ers did, they're now on tape. Ooh. Not saying that they, they can't do the same thing that they just did. Oh, I'm sorry, Aaron. I couldn't hear you. Um, <laughs> um, you know, because when you kind of look at it, it's like, well, this is not college. This is not high school. This is the pros, you know, and you basically now showed your blueprint on how you win games. You know, your defense is going to stick it out there trying to prevent you from scoring touchdowns, and then your office is going to try to run the football. I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. I truly believe that Jimmy Garoppolo now is in a spot where, you know, he left one place to go shine in another, and yet once again it showed why the Patriots didn't really want to keep him. It's because they probably knew that he doesn't, you know, when it came to crunch time, you know, that he can perform. Oh, but he won the NFC Championship game. You guys want to relive that game? You guys want to see how many passes he threw? How many yards he threw? Oh, but he won the the, the game the week be be a four against the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. I'm sorry, like I'm not impressed. Um, so that's when you know you ask that question, and I say, well, I, I still think they'll compete. I don't think they'll make it to the Super Bowl. Um, I, I still think that losing Buckner is huge. Um, you know, to me, losing an inside interior man like that is now you know I don't think. You know, Mr. Bosa is going to get plenty of one-on-ones on the outside. And that puts a lot of pressure on that secondary, which if I remember, I still think I saw Richard Sherman about 10 years behind Sammy Watkins. And that secondary to me hasn't gotten any better either. So that's where I'm at on that. You know, like I still think that the quarterback in the division, you know, who's going to win it is Russell Wilson. Uh, I'm 
I'm not going to spoil my end of season predictions uh, yet, but I will say I do think this division is going to be super tough. I don't know. Right now, I would say the 49ers are the favorite. Um, I'm a firm believer in to be the man, you got to beat the man, and this team isn't that much different than it was last Seattle season. Seattle did beat them. Seattle did beat them last year, and they had a chance to beat them again by one yard. I mean, yeah, but yeah. they didn't. Uh, so, <laughs> That's right. and I, I, I do hear what you're saying on Richard Sherman. Who knows when that season's going to happen where he just kind of drops off and he's no longer the guy, but the 49ers have so many guys on defense. Uh, and I feel like Robert Sala is probably good enough to where if they needed to mask it in some way or kind of hide him, they probably could. Um, cause they, they still could, have, but this is the NFL, man. There's so I know, many ways you I know. for the defense. They but. still have uh, Jaquiski Tart. They have Jimmy Ward. They have uh, Dre Greenlaw. They have Quan Alexander, Nick Bosa. They still have a lot of quality guys. So I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to be okay. Uh, but I agree with I you. I like the Rams secondary better. I don't know if that changes topics. But I, I, I look at the Rams secondary with Taylor Rapp, Jalen Ramsey. I, 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 I don't know. There's something to me that tells me that I trust that secondary more. Uh, I agree with you. If you were just talking secondaries, uh, I would probably take the Rams secondary over the 49ers. Um, But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I certainly think the strong suit of the team is their defense. I think if the 49ers struggle, I think it will be on the passing side. I think running the ball, Shanahan has proven that he can run the ball and he can win running the ball with almost anybody, whether it's use check or, or if they can get Jarek McKinnon back healthy, Mostert. Um, I can't remember what game it was. I want to say it might have been the Green Bay Packer playoff game, but Jimmy Garoppolo only threw the ball like eight times or something yep. like that. Like and they can championship game, yeah. And yeah. Championship. So I mean, they don't have to win with Jimmy G being an MVP. They can win running the ball. They've shown they can do that. So I think the struggle could be if it comes to a point where they can't run the ball effectively and they say, hey, we need you to make a play, I don't know if the 49ers have the receivers other than George Kittle to really make a play. We'll see how Debo Samuel progresses and some of those other things. Uh, But I think that would be where the struggle is. So we'll see. Um, In the interest of time, we'll go ahead. We'll move on from the 49ers. We'll go ahead and get to Manny who's going to tell us all about the Seahawks. So go ahead, Manny. The floor is yours. All right, guys. So the Seattle Seahawks in 2019 ended the season at 11-5, second in the NFC West. Uh, they would have beaten the 49ers in the final game of the season. They would have won the division. The whole playoff tree might have changed, but that did not happen as they got stopped at the one-yard line. They ended up beating the Eagles in the wild card game the following week, but then lost to the Green Bay Packers 28-23. to in which uh, that game saw them uh, end their hopes of any chance of reaching the Super Bowl once again. So now, as we all know, a couple couple of weeks back, or actually our last pod, uh, when we previewed the AFC East, one of the questions we actually asked and we talked about was Jamal Adams. Would he be traded? Would he stay? We like we all knew that the Jets situation was just waiting to to you know waiting for the right you know for the right time for it to just explode, right? Well, guys, guess what? We, we didn't have to wait any longer as a week and a half ago. He got traded from the Jets uh, all the way uh, to, to to Seattle. 
And man, if I would have told you that the Seattle Seahawks, okay, they would have given up. Listen to this. They would have given up a 2021 and a 2022 first round pick, a 2021 third round pick, and their starting safety, Bradley McGault. Now, I don't know about you. I sure am not no NFL agent. But Jamal Adams basically got traded like he was, like, you know, basically the franchise quarterback. And, you know, unless Seattle believes he's the missing key key piece, which, you know, um, Jadamini Clowney, he's still out there. He has not been signed yet. If he probably signs back with Seattle, which it doesn't seem they will because of all their money issues and whatnot, because um, according to multiple sources that I read, the deal that um, Jamal went um, that the the deal that Jamal and the Seahawks made were was that Jamal would play um, under his final rookie year contract. So they haven't even <laughs> they haven't even extended his his rookie season or whatnot. Which then you know Jamal was looking for roughly what twenty plus million dollars. I don't know if the Seahawks are in any position to make that type of offer. But obviously Jamal Adams he got tired of the Jets you know and whatnot and you know. This is a player that, let's be honest, if you looked at most of his posts when he was a rookie, he said, you know, New York Jet for life. I'm a Jet for life. I'll do all these things. Um, but as we know, no, not everything lasts or not everything can be said that happens in truthfully form, you know, and now he's not a Jet anymore. He's a Seattle Seahawk. But Seattle did this trade. I, I really want to know if they feel like they needed to do this because of the whole COVID situation. I understand that teams were not able to practice in the off season. You know, a lot of this will be extremely rough on rookies. I'm going to let you know this right now, guys. Uh, if you pick any rookies in your fantasy football team, it's because you trust the coaching staff because a lot of rookies are going to be struggling. Um, but, you know, when you look at the whole Seattle scope and whatnot, they basically added a couple nice pieces, not, you know, not, Nothing, you know, worth like, you know, popping bottles or anything. They they added an old tight end and Greg Olson. Uh, Bruce Irving came back t- to the team. Um, offensive lineman Chance Warmack, And, of course, speedy wide receiver out of Miami, Philip Dorsett, which that definitely will help that Seattle um, offense. But when you look at what they lost, and let me know if I'm wrong, there's not they're not really big names. Um, George Fant, Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods, Jermaine Effetti. I mean, those are kind of names that, you know, not really most um, most fans were even trying to see where they went in free agency or whatnot. But, of course, then you look at the unrestricted free agents, which happened, which was Josh Gordon, J.D.B. Clowney, Ziggy Ansa. But, of course, the one position which it seems to me that Seattle has forgotten to address a little bit um, is the running back position. Like, they haven't returned to the Super Bowl since they had a guy like Marshawn Lynch. And no, I don't mean a guy like Marshawn Lynch of last season. I'm talking about the Marshawn Lynch that was on the team, you know, in that whole three-year span when the Seattle Seahawks went to a couple of Super Bowls and they actually won one. And as we know, they lost the the other one in the uh, interception by Wilson. And I know Rams fans were popping bottles that night for sure. Um, I just feel like they didn't address the running back position. I mean, Carlos Hyde is nice. He's not, you know, he's not wow. But, hey, you think that you could win once again with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde and Richard Penny, you know, and Travis Homer. And it seems like they got the Miami Hurricane backfield in fourth of his stringers and running backs with uh, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I mean, go for it. But I, I feel like Russell Wilson can use 
a much better running back and to help that offense out. Um, you know, Eric Metcalf had an amazing rookie season as a wide receiver. I still don't know why the Eagles passed on him and they ended up getting uh, Hathan Stale Whiteside or however you pronounce his name, which I still don't know how that happened still. But, hey, that's the way drafts are, right? You know, and then when you kind of think about it as a whole, like to me, and like I just, you know, and I said it a little bit earlier, I feel like Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in that division, followed by golf, followed by um, Joe, um, Joey, not Joey, Jimmy Garoppolo, Gigi, as some of these 49ers fans were calling him after the Super Bowl loss. Um, so I guess, guys, when I, you know, my first question would be, do you, can you agree that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in this division. And because of that, if you think so, that is true. Can that be a good a good reason why the Seattle Seahawks can win this division? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll jump yeah. in real quick. Um, Do you want to go ahead, Nick? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. All right, all right. No, 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 so go ahead. I'll go, I'll go first. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think Russell Wilson is... <laughs> I think Russell Wilson is amazing. In fact, I think... He's what's kept the Seahawks alive the last couple years. Um, his elusiveness, his accuracy, his his speed on his feet, uh, his arm. I mean, he, he's an amazing quarterback. He's one, if not, I would say the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Maybe not the best, but pretty close to it. Uh, anytime Russell Wilson's on the field, the Seahawks have an opportunity to win. That guy, somehow he just – He's a winner. He strings things together. He makes things happen. Uh, he scares the hell out of me every yeah, time he's I'm on the not field. Gonna uh, say anything much different than that. So, uh, Russell Wilson is basically one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Obviously, he's the best quarterback in this division. And uh, like Aaron said, any winning that they do is usually because of him because he's that good he can take over a game whether it's with his legs or his arm or whatever so um if they do win the division uh it'll obviously be because of him and he'll probably be having an mvp year if that is the case yeah so i guess then let me follow up with this question what do you think is missing in seattle's um i guess not missing from the team but what like it it just it just feels like they try to win with having a tough defense and then just trying to run the ball, be conservative. But obviously we've seen what Russell Wilson can do. He, you know, he extends plays. He puts, he creates pressure on your D line to try to, you know, make sure that you wrap them up or whatnot. Not he can go and throw an 80 yard bomb for like a touchdown. What do you think is missing from that Seattle offense? So because the defense, listen, we know it's not the Legion of boom, um, you know, no more, you know, it's not, you know, no more um, Sherman. That was that was a young guy there. No more Cam Chancellor. Earl, like, this was actually Earl Earl Thomas's first season without the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, you know, for a long time, Earl Thomas was that guy down there, whether it be in the box or whether it be up top. But now, you know, for the first time in his career, since he went to Baltimore last season, no Earl Thomas. Um, Bobby Wagner, he, you know, he's not getting any younger. He's still very elite, very smart, but, you know, he's not that same guy anymore. So, like, what piece do you think the Seahawks are missing to make that, you know, to make that that run or, or that push? Uh, I think the obvious answer, at least for me it's an obvious answer, is their offensive line. Um, they Their offensive line has been bad for several years now. They've been trying to address it 
and they can never seem to find the answer, whether it's the offensive line coach or just the players themselves. Uh, you had already mentioned Effetti's gone. Uh, one, of, one of the reasons he's gone is because he just wasn't good, and they tried to make no. him something he wasn't. He was never going to be a pro bowler, whether that was at guard or at tackle, because I know they moved him around, and it never worked. Uh, so their offensive line is the biggest thing holding them back, which is usually why if you watch a Seahawks game, especially when they're playing the Rams and Aaron Donald's on the field, Almost as soon as Russell Wilson hits his back foot, he's got to run somewhere because he can't even read where what the receivers are doing because he's got to run around and buy time for himself because the line is crumbling. Um, so I, for me, the obvious answer is offensive line. I don't know what you think, Aaron. Yeah, I would say, I mean, my initial thought was the offensive line. Every time I watch the Seahawks, I'm always watching Russell Wilson evade and somehow get out of those tough positions and somehow get that ball to that wide receiver that I didn't think he was going to have a chance in heck to get it to. So um, my initial thought, yes, offensive line. And then Manny, I have to agree with you too, with the running back situation Uh, Mm -hmm. between those two spots. um, It's difficult to say which one's worse, but I would think just based off of Russell Wilson's ability to, evade and still get the ball down the field like he does maybe the running back situation could be a little more helpful but um as i'm talking i'm realizing that i think the offensive line stores <laughs> uh because yeah, no, even if, even yeah. if the offensive line sucks the run seems the run's gonna suck too so uh yeah, yeah, yeah i no, definitely I mean, go with the offensive line man. you know Aaron. i mean i think you make up a, a well, not that you make up but i think you said a great point there they both go hand in hand. Either you have a great running back that can't run behind an offensive line, or either you have a no-name running back that's not that good and just can't run, be, be, you know, between a good, you know, like a good offensive line. It just seems like there's a single trend here on why the Seahawks haven't been able to get to the finale. I'm not saying that they, you know, they couldn't, you know, because I, I don't have the, the whole stats in front of me against the Green Bay Packers. But as far as I know, they couldn't move the ball in the second half against Green Bay. And as far as I know, the Green Bay Packers had, what, the most sacks um, this season with their two key free agents coming from Washington or or whatnot. So that right there up front, their offensive line couldn't handle that. So that right there could be a key, a key, you know, a, you know, like a key thing there in that, you know, Seattle hasn't been back to glory since the, to me, you know, then had a very consistent running back. And, you know, and you guys are right. And, and Nick, especially you when you say that the offensive line has not been what they thought they would be, despite having a lot of offensive line coaches with experience. I mean, it was what Tom Cable, it was a couple of other guys that were really highly touted. And yet Pete Carroll just doesn't seem him and Schneider just can't seem to draft, you know, quality offensive linemen and they're having to go and get people. And then when guys like Effetti don't turn out great, they just let them go for nothing. And then they got to go to a guy named Dwayne Brown, which I've never heard of a Dwayne Brown, but he's coming over from Houston, from Houston as a left tackle. I mean, it's just, you know, like they got two new guys starting on the, on the O-line, you know, one guy from Houston, another guy from Jacksonville. So, you know, it's, it's safe to say that if Russell Wilson wasn't this team starting quarterback, I really don't know where this franchise would be because I don't know many guys like Russell Wilson that can escape the pocket every three to four seconds after he steps back to throw because his offensive line is not blocking anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
we'll go ahead and move on to the Arizona Cardinals. But before we do, I'm going to throw out just a couple quick points that I had on Seattle that Manny had touched on that I wanted to follow up on. Um, the Jamal Adams trade, as someone who hates Seattle, I love the deal for Seattle. I love that they overpaid because I think they overpaid. Two first-round picks for a safety. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. unless and you're yet, Henry- And yet you are you, – you he's playing under his last rookie deal, which means he's a free agent next season, which means you're going to have to pay him $20 million if you plan on keeping him. Yeah. So – and like I was saying – no safety, unless your name is Ed Reed or Troy Palomalu. Ronnie even, Lott, man. Uh, Ronnie no Lott for 20 mil. <laughs> yeah, no safety is worth two first-round picks and a player. I'm sorry. And Jamal mm-hmm. Adams is definitely not that guy. There's very few players in the NFL that are worth two first-round picks. Jamal Adams is not one of them. And now the Seahawks are placing themselves in a bind, uh, like you had mentioned, because – the Rams are in the same situation where they gave first two first round picks for Jamal or sorry, Jalen Ramsey. And now they're in a position where Jalen Ramsey is going into the final year of his deal. And now the Rams are going to have to try and find money and pay him. And if they don't, then that means they essentially just gave up two first round picks for a year and a half of Jalen Ramsey, which is a bad trade if that's what happens. Um, so th- that's my feeling on the trade. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, um, I kind of wish Javier Baez didn't have the name El Mago, the magician, because if he didn't have it, Russell Wilson would have it because he's basically a magician. Uh, the way that he can get out of trouble behind that offensive line. He, he, uh, I like it. yeah, he makes something out of nothing. So he's like the El Mago of the NFL. Uh, Aaron, why don't you go ahead and tell us about some Arizona Cardinals? All right, Nick, the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, what's not to say about those guys? They're so good. Uh, yeah, that's definitely, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the last three seasons, the Cardinals have finished in the bottom two. Uh, 2018, they won only three games, so they finished in fourth place in the division. But they uh, picked up a, a potential, hopeful, star quarterback in Kyler Murray, and then in 2019, they had a record of five wins and ten losses, so they did improve. They got two extra wins with Kyler Murray. And of those wins, I mean, they had pretty close games throughout the season. Uh, I mean, they only lost to the – I mean, they lost to the 49ers both times, but it was pretty close. They did beat the Seahawks once. Uh, I mean, they almost beat the, uh, the Rams at one point. They only lost to – the Ravens, I think, by six, seven points when they played. Uh, so, I, I mean, with Kyler Murray, it's a little bit of a rough season. Yeah, only five wins. But I would say overall they they were semi-more successful than their 2018 season. Um, now going back, I had some uh, interesting information with regards to the Arizona Cardinals. They are actually the oldest – football team in the National Football League. They were founded in 1898 as the Chicago Cardinals, which I was very surprised to find out because they're also one of the least successful teams in the NFL. Uh, They actually did win two championships back in 1925 and 1947. And as you mentioned before, they did make their first franchise appearance in the Super Bowl back in 2008 when they had Kurt Warner and Anquan Bolden, 
Of course, Larry yeah, Fitzgerald. Yeah, Kurt Warner. Yeah, yeah right. Ooh. And Larry Fitzgerald, who is uh, still playing, he was going to retire, but apparently he's going to come back for another year, assuming they have a season this year. Um, so, and also in 1998, do you guys remember Jake Plummer? Do you remember that guy? Jake the Snake. Jake Plummer. Jake yeah. the Snake. He actually, yeah. uh, he actually used to coach oh, high school God. football. After he retired, he coached high school football down in uh, or over in Sandpoint, Idaho. Jake the Snake. Oh, wow. No way. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Used to play that team in high school. I don't live out west, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in in '98, he got a playoff win with the Cardinals, which ended a 51 year drought for a win in the playoffs for those guys. Which to me it seems insane. Fifty one years of not winning one playoff game, but Jake the Snake Plumber did it in ninety eight. Um, now, looking at some questions here, the the Arizona Cardinals they did make some off season moves. Um, one big one, which was they went ahead and traded David Johnson. There oh used to be Coach star running back. I still have no idea how Coach O'Brien has a job. I'm entirely confused as well. But David Johnson is gone, and I would say the biggest steal of the offseason, the Arizona Cardinals got DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I would agree with you. That was was a steal. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and now at running back, they have Kenyon Drake, who was traded to them last season from the Miami Dolphins. Um, Now, Kyler Murray, he's going to be entering his second year. And as I mentioned, they already had a slight improvement between the 2018 to the 2019 season by just two wins, but I I think there's a lot of promise there. Now with DeAndre Hopkins lining up at wide receiver for Kyler Murray, I feel like that's going to open a lot of opportunity for him. My other issue is that, okay, is this going to be a one-two-man offense, Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins? Is he going to have another threat? Uh, wide receiver is the running game. Is Kenny is uh, Kenyon Drake going to really be the guy that steps up for their 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 running offense? Um, do you guys actually see the Arizona Cardinals offense improving with DeAndre Hopkins, or do you think they're not going to really have that that diversity between the run and the pass and have a you know that second wide receiver to really draw that attention away from DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I mean, do you guys see an immediate impact with just having Hopkins on this team and losing a star running back as Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald? I mean, he's another year older. Is he going to really be able to fill that, I would say, that backup role now for the wide receiver position? Uh, I'll start with you, Manny. How do you feel this offense is going to be? Do you see an, an immediate improvement offensively for this um, team? Well, when I look at the Cardinals as a whole, I mean, I, I feel like once they traded for Kenyon Drake for Miami, I thought their whole offense opened up and they obviously were doing things the way that the head coach wanted. I mean, let's be honest here. This had, this, had, this had coaches coming from a spread offense in college trying to kind of, you know, use it with a college quarterback that also had like a spread shotgun type um, when you're talking about Murray that came from Oklahoma. Um, I mean, now you're adding to me because I still think Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver in the league, but yet people would say, oh, well, you know, he has Drew Brees. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins, to me, he had, you know, Deshaun Watson. 
And DeAndre Hopkins, to me, can be such an upgrade to that position, a position in which when you think about it, not saying that Larry Fitzgerald can't do what he still does, but like the Cardinals haven't had a guy like that that can, you know, basically take the top off. You know, now all of a sudden defenses know the speed of Murray. They know Kenyon Drake is back there and what speed he has. And now you put that together with having one of the best wide receivers now out there. Um, I think this offense, in a sense, can be potent, can be elite. I think it all depends, though, on what Seattle's issues is. And, you know, it's what Nick said, the offensive line. Um, you know, once again, if you're going to be playing the way they play on offense, you're going to need an offensive line that can block more than three to four to five seconds. If not, you know, Kyle Murray's no Russell Wilson, but we saw him make plays already from the pocket, you know, going outside and whatnot and just escaping because that's what he did in college. Um, but as we all know, that doesn't last in the NFL. Um, you know, so I, I truly believe that their offensive line can block well and at least can run the football, create that less pressure up for Murray. I think Murray has a heck of a hot, great offensive weapons all around to try to make it succeed. Now, defense, that's a different story. But when it comes to offense, I really see this Arizona Cardinals offense with Hopkins. It could be potentially top five, top ten. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to disagree just because I am one of those guys. I'm not a believer in Kyler Murray. I know this year there's a lot of people jumping on the Kyler Murray bandwagon. I'm not one of those people. I don't really believe in him. I just don't see a lot there. Um, I don't think he's bad necessarily. I just don't think that he's good enough to really elevate the team, um, to be a consistent winner. Um, I feel like he's kind of in that tier with uh, Kirk Cousins where he's, you know, okay. He can win you some games, but just not consistent. Um, so I I don't know. To answer your question, Aaron, I don't know if adding Hopkins is enough to really put this team over um, or drastically improve them. Um, I, I just feel like the supporting cast is not really there. Um, but if schematically cliff kingsbury is as much of a genius as people some people say he is then maybe he can come up with something that blows people away that the nfl hasn't seen before and who knows maybe they could do something that's incredible uh but i personally don't see it and like manny had alluded to even in a perfect world if they if this team were to put up 30 points a game their defense is not good uh so yeah yeah so even if they were scoring 30 on offense their defense would be giving up like 40 or 45 so um i i i just don't see a whole lot at least in the immediate future with this team um it's hard to be optimistic with them at least for me from my vantage point i mean i'm just being optimistic nick because you already had the first year between quarterback and coach you know, like it's like it's not like you're going into 2020 with a whole new with an all new regime like certain teams are. So that's when I say, well, at least experience has to count now. Now, though, right? I mean, how else can you, you know, like what else can you possibly do than go off of that? And yet, you add one of the most one of the most potent wide receivers as well. That's the only reason why I say it could potentially be top five, top ten because you know it's already set, it's in place. All you're doing is putting in the pieces. You already have the pizza in the oven. The only thing you're doing is to make is, is you're opening the oven to make sure that it's done. But of course, like I said, they could score 45 points. That doesn't mean that their defense is not going to give up 45 points. 
Yeah. Uh, I always love a good food analogy, especially if it's pizza. Sorry, I'm just I'm just starving. I've been working all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you uh, are you guys a uh, cheese people or pepperoni? Mushroom man, mushroom pizza. Mm. There we go. Uh, you know what? When I'm really, um, I don't have like a go-to pizza. If I did have a go-to pizza, it would probably be pepperoni, pineapple, and jalapeno. I love it. Pineapple on pizza. Yeah, that's kind of my go-to, but I'm really easy to please. I could do cheese. I could do just pepperoni. Uh, I like even pizzas with like white sauce or barbecue sauce. Yes. Less greasy. Less greasy. I like it. uh, I'm equal opportunity pizza guy. So there we go. Aaron, do you have anything else to hit on the Cardinals? Uh, Yeah. I mean, just briefly, uh, you guys kind of touched base on how terrible and awful their defense was. I mean, the team ranked 32nd in total yards allowed last season. So, that's not good in the National Football League. Uh, how many good. teams are in the league? Uh, Just 30. 32. 32? 31, yeah, 32. Yeah, so they finished last. Okay. Oh, okay, bueno. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my question, and Nick, you might not know as much. Manny, maybe you do. They got Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. This guy seemed oh, yeah. like a, a star player. Yeah. Last year, got, um, yeah, yeah, last year with Clemson, he got um, 104 combined tackles, eight sacks, three interceptions, and eight passes defended. Uh, from what I'm hearing, this guy's pretty good at playing up in the box, but he can also drop into coverage. And uh, from some comparisons I've seen, you know, he can play at, at some capacity uh, as used to be New York Jets, but now Seattle Seahawks star safety jamal adams just kind of that versatility um i mean he's a they also signed a outside linebacker devin Kennard, you know to hopefully help with their pass rush uh their their cornerback patrick peterson he was out six games last year due to suspension so i mean when he came back he wasn't he wasn't really himself so maybe this year without that suspension he'll you know be back to his normal routine that shutdown corner um, I mean, just with those couple situations there with the new rookie, uh, the addition of somebody linebacker, the Patrick Peterson coming back, hopefully not being rusty coming in to the season. I mean, you got to see some of a improvement with their defense, right? I, Manny, I mean, what's your opinion on, on Isaiah Simmons first off? And then, I mean, do you think he's going to really start to maybe help this? Obviously it's a team effort. There's 11 players on the defense, but I mean, can this guy really make a make a difference for this team? Well, let me not spoil my rookie of the year. Um, let's move on from that. But man, Isaiah Simmons, guys, it's not your average size outside linebacker or inner linebacker per se. But this man, this this is one heck of a player, guys. This guy can run sideline side to sideline with the best of them. This guy can cover anybody out on the field. I mean, I, I watched them at Clemson, you know, because I'm down here in Miami. So, obviously, they play the ACC. And, man, like, if there was one guy that you always saw on tape on, on defense, it was definitely Isaiah Simmons. The guy's motor is unbelievable. Um, I saw him in the national championship game, even though they lost. But to me, I, I to me that's when I think, you know, it kind of helped them boost his stock um, going up at that top five was because the way that, you know, he actually took – a couple plays out from from LSU's um, game plan 
in the first couple of drives because if we all remember, you know, I know you guys are not as college guys like me, but there were a couple first drives where LSU was struggling and they had like one touchdown and four drives. And then they came out and they came out at halftime and they basically started doing everything on the opposite side of Isaiah Simmons right there. And that to me told me, man, this, this player actually changed a college team's game plan. Um, obviously though, in the NFL, that's more difficult to do. Um, Isaiah Simmons can't block for your quarterback. Isaiah Simmons can't create turnovers all the time for your defense, but he is going to be one of those guys that, you know, like I'm trying to, trying to find a player to compare him to. He's just, his size is so unique. His speed is unbelievable. His, his, his strength is inevitable. It's something that when you put it all together, that's who you want playing linebacker for you, for your team, you know, just that physical speedy guy. Um, you know, and he's all hustle, all hustle. No matter what the play, no no matter if the play is fifty yards down the field, you you knew that number eleven Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. He was running down there to see if he could try to make that tackle. Um, you know, like I said, I'm trying to figure out a player maybe to compare from the linebacking cores or the linebacking players that we've seen in the NFL. I just with his size and stuff, I would probably say, you know, he has the speed of a Mike Singletary, but he has a strength of a Dick Buckus, you know, it's just what, you know, of course, and then I'm going back in the days because I don't, I don't, I can't really recall any linebacker that I had such an impression on, um, especially in the college. But of course we all know things can change, you know, now you're in the pros, you know, so possibly you're, you know, better offensive linemen and stuff. And he's going to be going up against, you know, a very schematic Rams offense. He's going up against a very, you know, great quarterback in Russell Wilson and then, of course, he's going up against the 49ers offense which loves to make sure they pound the rock right in your face and make you say, you know what, I give up. So all that could change. Um, you know, can he make a difference? Absolutely. But will that difference be in the win-loss column? I don't know. I mean, this is this is a guy that could – I mean, you look at like a George Kittle, right? I mean, this could be the guy um, that could stay up. I, I yeah. think – I mean, George Kittle. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I would bet any money right now that when the Niners play the Arizona Cardinals, because you know, you, even Nick mentioned it. Besides George Kittle, you don't know what you're going to get from Debo Samuel. You don't have Emmanuel Sanders anymore. The Niners rely on three to four or five different types of running backs. So for sure, if I had to put my money on it, Isaiah Simmons would be the one guy I would see line up on George Kittle, play in and play out, without a doubt. Awesome. All right. And Nick, yeah. So as Manny said, he's pretty high on this Isaiah Simmons. I mean, if you're looking at Kennard Simmons getting into the backfield, causing some ruckus there with the quarterback, you got Patrick Peterson, hopefully uh, up to par again, and Byron Murphy over there at cornerbacks. Um, I mean, do you see, what do you think about for improvement with this defense? I mean, if you're finishing 32nd in total yards allowed, the only thing really, I mean, you have at rock bottom now. So if, even if you get to 31st, yeah, yeah, that was that was the point that I was gonna make. Is when you finish dead last, the only place you can go is up. So uh, the odds of them getting better, I would say, are good because you can't get any worse. Um, I don't know <laughs> yes. how much improvement we'll see, uh, but I would be shocked if they finish dead last again because that's hard to do. Um, so I, I think there'll be some improvement, but uh, do I think that the Cardinals are going to be one of those teams where, you know, y- they're going to come into town and you have to 
fear their defense. Not no. really. Um, I don't. I don't see it. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. You know, they might have a couple standouts here and there, but uh, as a unit, it's certainly not um, a, a unit that scares me by any means. Yeah, and Aaron, just one more thing before we uh, move on. This ties into what I said earlier, not having an offseason, not being able to meet with your coaches, not being able to be with your teammates. That You know, this, to me, like I said before, it's going to hurt a lot of rookies because, yes, one thing is, you know, being in person with your guys, and another thing is doing it virtually. I did school virtually. I hated it. You know, I am normally a type of guy that likes to sit in the classroom, raise my hand, show my teachers my examples, show them my test in person. I have to do everything virtual. Um, you know, yes, I'm getting the same information, but it's the way that, you know, for me personally, I like reading a book to see it. I don't like reading something off a screen in which I can just, you know, shut down my laptop. You know, that's one of the things that these guys, these rookies I've had to attend to. Listen, I'm hoping that Cam Akers and Van Jefferson – and all of our Rams guys, I'm hoping that this entire offseason, they've been at home meeting with their coaches, studying that playbook, especially on offense, because this Rams offense needs to improve. You know, I, we haven't touched subject on the Rams yet, but I'm saying like there, there's, you know, you want to be able to say that your rookies actually learn something from this. You know, of course, not much can be done with hands on, but it had to be done virtually. So. That, that right there is why the point I brought up. It's going to be difficult for Isaiah Simmons, I think, to begin with because especially in no preseason. I mean, you're not even going up against other teams until week one. I mean, that's a heck of a pressure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think I think Arizona is still uh, sadly going to finish last in this division, but I do think there's going to be an improvement offensively and defensively with this team, and I think they're, they're moving in a positive direction. So – I'm curious to see how this season pans out for them. Yeah. Uh, well, we will go ahead and finish uh, Save the Best for Last. We'll talk about the Rams. So last season they finished 9-7, and seven, which was third in the division. Um, they were 11th in points, so they finished uh, averaging 24.6, which is pretty respectable. Anytime you can get top 10 or around top 10, that's pretty good. Uh, their defense was kind of middle of the road. They finished 17th. They given up 22.8 points per game. And uh, this past season was the third under a head coach, Sean McVay. So um, no indications that uh, this was a bad hire by any means. I think this was the right hire. Um, I'm, I'm glad we got the guy, and I hope we have him for the next – decade um i i'm still a fan of the hire i don't think any rams fan could really look at that and say that that was a mistake um this past season was also the last season playing in the la coliseum so r.i.p the coliseum the rams aren't going to be playing there anymore um the rams obviously struggled during the season they started the season three and oh and uh, I remember kind of thinking, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We're going to go right back to the Super Bowl. I kind of got my hopes up a little bit. Um, but after starting 3-0, and they kind of went into a rut, and it was win a couple, lose a couple, win one, lose one, and it never really got back on track after that. Uh, they were eliminated from playoff contention for the first time since 2016 after a 34-31 to loss to the rival 49ers that was in week 16 
Um, I personally knew the season was over before that, and I'll touch on that in a second. But week 16 was when they were mathematically officially eliminated. Um, and this was the first season under Sean McVay that they hadn't made the playoffs. So, you know, he's going to come into this season, you know, super motivated because um, you get that taste of success, especially when you're as young as he is um, with this team. You know, he's going to go into this season with a huge chip on his shoulder and he's going to want to get back to the playoffs. Um, so getting back to what I just said about the season being over before week 16, um, I, I guess maybe you could look at it as I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. Maybe I'm just pessimistic, but, uh, for me, I knew the season was a wash, uh, after the week 10 loss to the Steelers. Uh, and I don't know how many Rams fans are going to remember that game in particular, but for me, uh, it sticks out a lot because I remember watching that game and I remember being super frustrated, borderline just being pissed off that entire game because, that we had no business losing that game because we lost to the Steelers, not Ben Roethlisberger Steelers, not Antonio Brown, none of that. We lost to Mason Rudolph Steelers, which was just terrible. That team sucked. We had no business losing that game, but we did. So backstory to that game, the Rams were five and three at the time and they were coming off a bye. So again, Coming off a bye, you would expect Sean McVay and this team to handily beat the Steelers. I mean, that is not, that was not a good Steelers team. Everyone, I think, would agree on that. But their last two wins to that point had come against the struggling Falcons and the perennial dumpster fire Bengals. They beat them um, at Wembley over in the UK. So coming off a bye and playing a team led by Mason Rudolph should have been a cakewalk, but it wasn't. Uh, the Steelers ended up winning 17-12. to 12. Um, So for me, at that point, I already knew in my head that if we can't beat Mason Rudolph and the Steelers, we're not going to do anything in the playoffs or make the playoffs. Uh, and then it ended up being right. We didn't even make the playoffs. Um, and just in case you had any doubt whether the Rams were good enough to make the playoffs last season, two weeks later after the Steelers game, uh, the Falcon or the, not the Falcons, the Ravens came into LA and totally blew the doors off the Rams and beat them 45 to six. Um, I couldn't tell you how that game went because pretty much after the first quarter, I stopped watching, uh, cause I wanted to go and like cry, uh, because it was embarrassing how bad the team was. So if you had any doubt about where the team was going to go last season, you knew after that Ravens game that, you know, hey, it's just not our year. We're just <laughs> we're just not that good. All right. So going into 2020, this is going to be the team's first season playing their home games at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, uh, which the team is actually going to share with the other L.A. team, the Chargers. Um, and that's not the only thing they're going to be sharing with the Chargers the Chargers and the Rams are going to be featured on HBO's Hard Knocks series. Um, this is the first time that Hard Knocks has ever featured two teams. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes just in itself, but um, should make for an interesting season, especially with the pandemic going on. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, unusual things they're going to have to do. So uh, watching Hard Knocks might be something I actually do this year. I've never really watched other than the initial season in 2016 um, when the Rams moved to L.A. when Jeff Fisher was the coach. Uh, I did watch that season of Hard Knocks. But other than that, it's not a show I've ever particularly watched or cared for. So um, it'll be interesting to see this season how that goes. Um, there was some coaching changes. So it'll be interesting to see what the team 
how they operate uh, this season. Uh, it's going to be all right. I'll, I'll start here. So January 6th, the Rams parted ways with Wade Phillips. Um, they didn't renew his contract, so he's no longer the defensive coordinator. Their special teams coordinator, John Fossil, who had been with the team since 2012, he was not retained. He's now the Dallas Cowboys special teams coordinator. Uh, and also, just of note, other staff members that are not on the team anymore, assistant offensive coordinator Jed Fish, running backs coach Skip Pete, assistant special teams coach Matt Daniels, and Director of Strength, Training, and Performance, Ted Rath. So uh, there's going to be some changes there. It'll be interesting to see how that plays into the season, how that plays into the team. Uh, Kevin O'Connell was hired as the offensive coordinator to uh, come in, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays with Sean McVay because we all know Sean McVay is the guy that calls the plays, talks to Jared uh, you know, in the headset. So it'll be interesting to see what he actually brings to the table. And Brandon Staley is coming in as the defensive coordinator, replacing Wade Phillips and O'Connell and Staley. This is their first go essentially at these positions. Uh, O'Connell was an offensive coordinator for the Redskins briefly, but if you watch the Redskins on offense last season, you know that that's nothing to be proud of. So it'll be interesting to see how that works with O'Connell and Staley being their first years in these, you know, roles especially considering what Manny said earlier, you know, these guys are going to have to come in and institute potentially new schemes, new verbiage, um, new assignments. And they're having to do this all virtually, which could potentially be a problem for someone that's doing this for the first time. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, also John Bonamega, uh, I'm probably butchering his last name, uh, was brought on board as the special teams coordinator. So, there's been some changes on the coaching staff. We'll see how that plays into everything. Um, as far as the roster goes, uh, this is kind of where my concerns lie with the team. There was a lot of key departures and not really any key additions. Um, and I was, this is kind of why I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to talk about the draft here in a second, but this is kind of why I had so many issues with the Rams draft this past season because they had so many departures that I thought the team should have addressed in the draft, but they really didn't. So they lost Corey Littleton, phenomenal inside linebacker. Really wish they would have kept him. They lost him to the Raiders, which I know Aaron's yeah. going to love. Um, <laughs> love, love, love it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you go out and you trade guys for first round picks that leave after you, right? Yeah. Uh, Dante Fowler. Uh, Dante Fowler is no longer with the team. I was really sad to see him go. I think that's going to be an underrated move. Um, I think people don't realize how much of an impact he had on the line. So Dante Fowler's with the Falcons now. Greg Zerline is with the Cowboys now. So we don't have Greg the leg anymore. Uh, and we also lost Nikel Roby Coleman to the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, I think that's another underrated move. Um, I, I think I don't think people realize how good he was. So uh, interesting to see how that's going to play on the defensive side. And also, Brandon Cooks was traded to Houston. So um, I'm a I was a Brandon Cooks guy. Still am a Brandon Cooks guy. Uh, I wish he could stay a little bit more healthy, but I know football is a physical game. There's not really much you can do about that. Um, but I think that's going to be a big move too. So. 
a lot of uh, key pieces there. Um, those are some talented guys. So the draft there, you know, or before I get to the draft, uh, I will talk about some additions the team made. The team did bring in Ashawn Robinson, nose tackle. They did bring in outside linebacker Leonard Floyd. Those aren't huge signings. I think those are kind of lightning in a bottle signings. Uh, if you get something great from them, awesome. You nailed it. Um, hopefully they can contribute, but those aren't really household names that people are going to go crazy over. Um, the team did bring back Michael Brockers and they did bring back, uh, Andrew Whitworth, who I think is like 55 now. So interesting <laughs> to see how he holds up. Uh, and, uh, they did bring back center Austin Blythe. So those, as far as additions go, um, free agents and stuff, that's what the team did. Uh, not anything super crazy. Um, Brockers is probably the most important one there, I would say. Uh, now, going into the draft, my opinion, and I know Manny's opinion on this was we really wanted to address some of the defensive uh, positions that we lost, especially Corey Littleton. Uh, the team didn't do that. Uh, that was not a focus of theirs. Um, second round, number 52, they took Cam Akers, the running back out of Florida State. Uh, the, number 57, still in the second round, they took Van Jefferson, the wide receiver out of Florida. And then in the third round, they took uh, Terrell Lewis, outside linebacker. And in the third round, they also took Terrell Burgess, a safety out of Utah. So the positions that we really wanted them to address, or at least I specifically wanted them to address, they really didn't. Um, and after the Van Jefferson pick, I almost tuned out completely from the draft because um, I – have no idea why out of all the positions of need they they thought running back and wide receiver was the way to go so um they're probably quality players but was that really a position of need for the team i, I don't think so so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um i am really high on uh terrell burgess the safety out of utah um I can't wait to see what he does on the defensive side. So we'll see how that goes. Um, my main question that I'm going to ask you guys, and then we can get to our predictions and wrap this up. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked at the schedule for the Rams, but I know I brought this up several weeks ago on one of our episodes. I can't remember which one it was, but if you look at the schedule that the Rams have and how much traveling they're going to be doing, it's really brutal. And when you factor in the complications that are going to come from COVID and how traveling is going to be even more difficult, I feel like this could potentially be a big issue, especially starting the season, because basically their first half of the schedule until they're by is, is brutal. So I'll start week one. They're going to be in L.A., at least they're supposed to be as of now, they're supposed to be in L.A., then they go to Philadelphia, then they go to Buffalo. I'm assuming the team is going to stay in Philadelphia and then go to Buffalo because it doesn't make sense to me to go from Philadelphia back to L.A., then back to Buffalo. So from Philly to Buffalo, then back to L.A., then from L.A. to D.C. to play the Washington football team. Then from there, they got to go back to the West Coast to play at Levi Stadium and play the 49ers. Then they're going to play in L.A. Then they have to go out to Miami, and then they're on a bye. So 
If you look on a map, they're basically going east-west, east-west, east-west with a little bit of a reprieve on some of those where they're going to stay on the west coast. So a lot of travel in there to start the season. And like I said, with the COVID stuff, that could make it even more difficult. So my question is, can this team start off strong and maintain some kind of momentum? Because I feel like to get to their bye in week nine, it's going to be a struggle. Because not only are you going to have to be playing some decent teams like the Cowboys, the Bills, the Niners, uh, you're also going to have to travel. And I feel like that's going to make it really difficult. So do you guys think that this travel is something to worry about? Do you think that I'm blowing it out of proportion and it's not really that big of a deal? Where do you guys sit on that? I yeah, first, first. yeah. Uh, I think it's gonna. Okay. I think it's gonna be a big impact. Uh, I mean, West Coast, East Coast, West Coast, East. I mean, when you're playing teams, Cowboys. Yeah, thankfully that one's a home one. But when you got the Bills, and then you're traveling around to the East Coast, and you got to come back and play the 49ers on the West Coast, and then Bears. See how I. I mean, you're looking at. You're looking at a lot of travel. It's going to wear the players that it's going to wear the players down. You got you got the East Coast time difference, three hour difference. Um, adjusting back and forth between that's going to be exhausting. Uh, and then, like you said, Nick, at the upfront start of the season with some of these teams they got to play. I think it's going to be. I think they're going to be exhausted come the second half of the season. We'll see how it turns out, but I think it's going to be a big struggle for them. Yeah, Manny, what do you think about the schedule? Do you think that that's a real concern, or do you think that's something they can get through? I mean, if you go back to the pod that we did about when the schedule came out, I, I think we all agreed that we thought the Rams had to start at least at a 500 level because at least for six straight weeks towards the end of the season, you're basically going to be on the you know the West Coast per se. Um, if you look at the last six weeks right after you faced Tampa here in, uh, on Monday night, um, home game against San Fran at Arizona, home game against the Patriots, home game against the Jets at Seattle, and home against Arizona. So to me, if you end up starting what I think we had agreed, or at least I had said at least go to 500 um, before you come back and face San Fran on that Monday night. Now you look at those games, though. Obviously, they're not going to be easy. Um, home against Dallas, at Philly, at Buffalo, back-to-back. This is when I I, – I, and I think I said this on the on the pod. Rams are going to have to figure out which one of these two to actually come out with a with a win. Um, I think it's going to be extremely tough if you start off one and two. Obviously, I'm predicting for them to beat the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I don't like that whole Dak Prescott situation going on over there in Dallas whatsoever. And not to mention that not you know teams haven't been able to be together or somewhat. Just something to me that tells me that the Rams are going to somehow have have their night on, you know, have their first opening game uh, be in a victorious way. Um, but, you know, you you come out one and two. If you lose to Philly and Buffalo, I still think the Giants game is winnable at home. I still think the Washington game at Washington is winnable. So, what, that's right there. You're after week five, you're thinking, what, maybe, what, that's one and three, two, two. So, you're basically three and three. You know, and then all of a sudden you go into the game at San Francisco. Now, this is when ask me again this question after week five at San Fran home against the Bears. To me, it's winnable 
but then at Miami, but here's the most important part. After that is your bye. So if you can somehow try to escape first eight weeks of the season, you know, four, four at the very least or the worst, I still think that sets you up to a pretty good road down down the line when you end with Tampa because I still think they're going to split with San Fran. You know, then you go to at Arizona, at home, back-to-back weeks with Patriots and Jets. Those right there should be wins. I'm sorry, Sean McVay. You learned your lesson in the Super Bowl, but here is when you as a head coach, you got to be able to use your expertise and your experience and what hurt you before, you got to be able to exploit that now with these types of games during late in the season. So, like I said, you can somehow escape with a 4-4 four and four, uh, before your Week 9 bye. And what, like I said, the last six games – they end up being, you know, around your area. I think you're pretty. You have a good shot. What will happen is if you, you know, you won't have a good shot is if you get swept by Seattle and San Francisco. Then that happens. None of these scenarios matter, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you actually make a really good point, Manny. Yeah, if they can escape with that, with that kind of record up front. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the last half of the season they got home games against the Seahawks, the 49ers. Um, I mean, and then they go to Arizona, which isn't that far away. And then they got teams like the Patriots that are going to be in L.A., which I don't think are going to be nearly as good. The Jets are going to have to travel to L.A. It's not going to be nearly as good. Um, so, yeah, I think, if they, like you said, man, if they can escape with a decent record in that up front, the second half of the season I think is going to be a lot more friendlier to them. So, Yeah, good, I good agree. I agree. If uh, if they can come out of that bye with a winning record, I think they have to feel pretty good. If they go out of the bye with a losing record and they have to play three divisional opponents in four weeks, that is a recipe for disaster. Because if you come into that game week 10 against the Seahawks with a losing record and you lose that game, then you go to Tampa and you have to play Tom Brady and you lose that one, then you have to go play the 49ers, and you lose that one, then you have to go play the Cardinals, I feel like it could snowball really quick because this division, in my opinion, is very tough. All these guys play each other very tough. And if you come out of that bye having to play three divisional opponents in the next four weeks and you're hurting for wins, that could be a bad recipe. But like Manny said, if you can come out of the bye – you got some wins under your belt and you can just kind of make it to week 14 where you're at home at home. Then you only have to go to Seattle and then week 17, you're back home. They're essentially the last quarter of the season is all West coast. They don't have to leave the Pacific time zone. They're not traveling very much. If they can make it to that part of their schedule and have some wins under their belt, I really like, you know, their odds. I feel like at that point, if that's where we're at, playoffs should be easy. So not winning in the playoffs easy. I mean, just making the playoffs easy. So we'll see. I, I feel like the schedule um, for the Rams this year is going to be a huge factor for them as far as how they do. Um, so we'll wrap it up with some just quick kind of rapid fire predictions, and then we'll be good to go. So best offensive player. Uh who I'll, I'll, I'll go Manny first, then I'll go Aaron, and then I'll, I'll pick last. Uh, who do you think, Manny, is going to be the best offensive player from the NFC West? Who do you think is going to have an amazing year? Eric Metcalf. Are you talking DK Metcalf? DK. I call him Eric, but yeah, DK Metcalf. Oh, okay, okay. 
I just wanted to make sure. I was like, am I not aware of a guy named Metcalf? I was like, okay, okay, cool. We're on the same page. Sorry, okay, go ahead. DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, Aaron, who do you think is going to be the standout offensive guy? I think it's going to be Russell Wilson. He's too good. I, th- I don't think it's going to be – I don't think any of the other quarterbacks are going to match up to him. Um, and he's going to have the ball in his hand every play, whether he's handing it off, running it, throwing it. That's not a bad pick. Uh, so my pick that's is that's an easy pick. It's I mean, easy, but that's, it's that's obvious. We yeah, just yeah, talked yeah. about that. Russell Wilson was the best quarterback in the whole division. I <laughs> pick him as your best player. I mean, it's not a bad pick. Uh, well, my... he's, he's gonna throw to Eric Metcalf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes. my pick is gonna be DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I feel like the, I feel like Cliff Kingsbury is going to design the offense around him to get him as many touches as possible. I feel like if you're a fantasy football player uh, or player, you know, and you have a team where it's PPR or something like that, especially, you're going to want DeAndre Hopkins because I feel like he's going to be getting a lot of touches, whether that's screens, whether that's slants. I feel like they're going to try and find ways to get him the ball a lot. So I feel like the potential for him to have an amazing year is there, Uh, especially because, as we noted, the defense is terrible, which means they're going to have to score a lot of points, which means they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. So DeAndre Hopkins, for me, is going to be that guy. Um, Best defensive player, Manny. uh, I feel like this is going to be an easy selection across the board. But Manny, who's your best defensive player? Isaiah Simmons. I said it when we were what? talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, what? This is when I told you. This is when I told you I didn't want to spoil that that answer. But not I, I best I, rookie. I, you're you're saying best defensive player. Best defensive player is going to be Isaiah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. Dude, uh, I I'm, I'm sorry. When I watched them go up against um, those LSU offensive line, which let's be honest here, these guys are all 300 pounds. Not to mention that the week before, he kind of isolated Ohio State's offense until, you know, per se, um, uh, halfway through the game, you know, all, they actually slowed, you know, they actually slowed down. I just feel like Isaiah Simmons, listen, his team ain't going to be that great, but this is a man that's going to be, you know, one of those unsung heroes at the linebacking spot. And I truly believe that Isaiah Simmons will be the best defensive player not hating on Aaron, on Aaron Donald. I would never do that. I love AD, um, but I'm just saying, like, I, I truly feel that what Isaiah Simmons brings into the league, you know, at his size and, and what he does best, he's going to show it. Okay, Aaron, who you got? I, I'm a little bit surprised, Manny. I mean, after you're so adamant about the rookies <laughs> not being very productive this season, you go ahead and pick one as your best defensive player. Uh, I am. That's how man. good I think he is, man. That's how good I think he is. <laughs> right. I mean, listen, when you're I mean, I'm not saying you're a hypocrite, you're right, but I'm kind of into Aaron, when you're ranked 32nd in the National Football League on defense, you can't go any more lower than that, okay? Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Well, okay. Mine is a, mine's a pretty obvious one. I mean, when you have the name Aaron, you automatically think greatness. So Aaron Donald, uh, <laughs> uh, twelve and a half sacks last year. Hold on, let me get my Donald. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna continue to be a stud. I mean, this guy is a freaking monster, 
Aaron Donald's going to kill it again. So yeah, it's obvious, I'm, but that's my guy. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Aaron Donald, obviously. Uh, <laughs> best <laughs> rookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So best rookie. So I guess, Manny, we already know your best rookie is going to be Simmons? No. No. no okay. No, no. Yeah, okay. Cam Akers, baby. Cam Akers, baby. Going yeah. over there. Cam Akers, baby. Cam Akers. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Um, Aaron, who, who who do you have for uh, best rookie? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love you guys. You guys oh take my, my stuff. Very uh, laughing. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Isaiah Simmons. So as we kind of discussed, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals are pretty terrible. And I think this guy's going to step in great. He's going to be that guy that's going to cover a cable sin. He's going to be that guy that's going to stop the run. Uh, he's going to get to the quarterback. I can see him being very productive as a rookie. So I'm thinking Isaiah Simmons. Okay. Uh, my pick is a homer pick. I'm not even going to try and hide that. It's a homer pick. I want this guy to be great. I hope he's great. I'm going with uh, the safety Terrell Burgess that the Rams drafted. Um, like it. Yeah, he basically is a Swiss Army knife. He can play the nickel. He can play on the line. He can play linebacker. He can play cornerback. He can play safety. He literally can play every position. Um, how that's going to translate to the NFL, I don't know, but I know in college that's what he did. So I really hope that Brandon Staley uses him in that way where he is all over the field, where he could be a safety one play, the next play he could play linebacker. I really hope that he has that kind of impact where offensive coordinators have to game plan around him because they don't know how he's going to get used. So I hope that's what happens. That would be great. Um, uh, that's what I want to see. Um, Last thing we'll do, win-loss predictions. You don't have to do specific 10 and 6 or whatever. That's up to you if you want to do that. Uh, if you just want to give uh, the finish top to bottom or bottom to top, you can do it that way too. That's up to you. So, Manny, I'll go ahead go to you first. Then we'll go Aaron, and then I'll go last. Uh, Manny, how do you think the division is going to be? You know, What's it going to look like at the end of the season? I think uh, the division will look with uh, Seattle winning it. Um, I want, I, I really want, cause I guess my Ram fanism really wants to, you know, come out and say the Rams are finished second, but it's just one of those things where, you know, your offense in a, in a way changes. Todd Gurley's gone. Um, yes. You still got Robert Woods and Cooper cup and whatnot, but you also have to get your running backs in which, you know, your, your offense relies on play action, you know? So, Oh, man, like I know the playoffs are also ex expanded as well. Is it possible that three teams in the division can go in? Uh, I believe that is possible. And is possible. Well, yeah. listen, where, where there's faith, where where there's faith, there's a possibility. So the Rams will finish third, but I have the Seahawks, Niners, and Rams all making the playoffs. There we go. Okay, Aaron, uh, how do you think this is going to unfold? Yeah. Notice how I didn't say Arizona. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just yeah. kind of left out. <laughs> I forgot about them. Kurt Warner. Sorry. Yeah, I think the whole league forgets about them. Uh, yeah, so I kind of made this prediction in a couple – it was a while ago in an earlier podcast when we are going over the Rams' schedule, but not much has changed. I think they're going to start the season 0-3, but uh, I do think they're going to finish second in the division, which I think is a stretch with how good I think the Seahawks will be. But I think the 49ers are going to win the division. 
Um, I see them getting swept by the 49ers. I see them splitting the series with the Seahawks and Cardinals. But overall record, 9-7. and seven. And I suspect they will make the playoffs. Okay. Well, um, I... Where did you go? Yeah, I <laughs> stepped away. Yeah, where did you go, Nick? <laughs> Damn, Nick. Where did you go? To me? Gosh. I, no, I was, actually. I turned around, and I was looking at my, my TV. was making noises, and I was like, what the hell is going on back there? Um, so I do agree that uh, this division is going to be very tough. I think it's going to be tightly contested. I think every divisional game is going to, going to be um, a fight. I don't think there's going to be any blowouts. Uh I really feel like what Manny said is very possible where we could have three teams from this one division make the playoffs because I think the 49ers obviously are very good. I think the Seahawks are good enough, and I think the Rams are good enough. Um, I feel like the 49ers are going to win the division. I think the Rams are going to come in behind them, and I think the Seahawks are going to finish third, and I think the Cardinals are going to finish last. Um would it surprise me if this was all flip-flopped and the Rams won and the Seahawks were second um, or if the Seahawks were first and then the 49ers were second? It wouldn't surprise me at all because I think the top three in this division are all good teams, and I think this season is going to be a little bit crazy with all the COVID stuff, so who knows what's going to happen. But uh, it should be fun. I definitely think the NFC West is going to be the more or one of the funnest divisions to watch uh, and pay attention to this upcoming season if we cross our fingers and we get a 2020 season. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening as always. And we will talk to you guys next time.